Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor, and I'm going to be your host today. Joining me one last time before he goes on a month-long vacation from Nerds Talk Movies, it is Drew Garrison. Drew, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I can't believe I'm not going to be here for a whole month, but... Potentially. Like, who knows? Who knows? You know, there might be an episode that you find interesting and you want to jump back in. But potentially, you might just be focusing a bit on Longbox Hunters over there with Tristan. Longbox Hunters and something I've been working on for literally since college. Ooh, tease there. Hope to hear it possibly in what we're working on and where people find us. But how are you doing, man? I'm honestly excited. This movie that we're reviewing today, which I don't want to say because you normally have a good intro put down, but uh, this movie that we're doing today is one of those movies that made me real that made me realize, huh? Maybe there's a better way to do this. Not to knock the movie before it starts, but it's like there are there are things in this movie that need to be said, and I plan on saying them in this podcast. I feel like you have an opinion about this movie that's a little opposite of mine, so. Let's just go ahead and get into it. You saw the title. You know the deal. Today, we are talking about Ready Player One. Here is a synopsis for Ready Player One, courtesy of IMDb. Quote, when the creator of a virtual reality called the Oasis dies, he makes a posthumous challenge to all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune and control of his world, end quote. And here are some of the main cast for the film, along with director and writer credits. Again, this is coming from IMDb. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, which makes a lot of sense considering Spielberg is the executive producer of the Bats of the Future films, and I could not help but feel a few vibes, I think, from Bats of the Future while watching this movie. I mean, he drives the DeLorean, so... Yeah, well, apart from that, of course. But the screenplay was done by Zach Penn and Ernest Cline. Based on the novel by Ernest Cline, Ty Sheridan stars in this movie as Parzival slash Wade, Olivia Cook as Artemis slash Samantha, Ben Mendelsohn as Sorrento, Lena Waithe as H slash Helen, and Simon Pegg as the curator slash Ogden Morrow. And I'm going to be honest with you, I wrote all this down before I watched the movie, and I forgot about it. I'm so glad I did, because there's some spoilers in that cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, I actually don't have a prelude. I'm not going to lie to you guys listening, and to my co-host here, I forgot to write one. Because <laughs> I watched this movie last minute, and... uh I, I will just say, this is a movie that's been recommended to me by some family mem- members saying, oh, it's a really fun movie, you should watch it, especially considering you love video games. And I always like, yeah, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it. And a few years pass, as it does. So um, I can do a small little prelude. Uh, okay. So Ready Player One was actually based off of a book. And uh, when it came to theaters, it was met with uh, some mixed reviews, in all honesty. Fans of the book were mad at the changes. Some that were put in adaptation that just didn't that just didn't make sense to them. And people who didn't know about the changes thought that the film was a fun ride. And overall, it became a divisive film when it was released. 
However, Ready Player One also did suffer as during its release schedule, some other major movies were coming out during the time. Hint, hint, MCU, hint, hint. So it actually got a little bit steamrolled under under the fan expectations that the MCU had as well. So this movie kind of suffered on all different fronts of being both both divisive and overshadowed by big box releases. It does kind of feel, though, that a lot of, at least the people I talk to, generally, I don't want to say think very fondly of the movie, but it's a lot of, oh yeah, it's really fun. It's solid. Uh, but yeah, man, you ready just to go ahead and get into it? Uh, yeah, I, I am. Let's talk about our general thoughts. I'll start. I kind of had the same opinion that I just said right there. I think it's really fun. I think it's really good. I do think that it's very rough around the edges. I wonder if this was a movie that should have been split into two. And usually you say that and you're like, no, that's a bad idea. I.e. The Hunger Games and so many different movies that they split into two. Like the Harry Potter. Uh, What was it? Harry Potter 7 they split into two? Oh, yeah. The... uh... Yeah, the final Harry definitely Potter Hallows. movie, the Deathly yeah. Hallows. Um, but for the for Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows, it should not have been split into two. But I'm fine with it being split into two because it what it was trying to do was set up like the hopelessness that the characters had. So I'm fine with that. Hunger yeah. Games should not have been split into two. They should have skipped over. Oh some no, parts. no, it shouldn't. They should. I'd argue the second one shouldn't have been what it was because that was one of those franchises. Not to go on a complete tangent here. That the first one's pretty solid and you're interested. You're like, alright, let's see what this franchise has. Then the second one's pretty fucking boring. And it just, for me at least, it took me out of the whole franchise. I had no interest to even see the two-parter. My sister was a fan of the movie franchise. She didn't know it was a book before. And uh, she was excited going into um, part two. Because part one ends off on uh, what, what what's his name? Bread guy uh, trying to kill Cadmus. And... Then she absolutely hated part two because of the decisions that they made and the obvious like, oh, we don't want you to root for hot for hot guy. We want you to root for bread guy. <laughs> so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a train wreck for her. For this movie, yeah. I do admit Ready Player One probably would have benefited from two movies because some of the stuff feels super, super rushed. Yeah. And I think what it is. A lot of the we're meeting in real life, you're like, cool. Honestly, I like the twist of the characters, too. For example, H. I thought that was a very well done twist there to be like, oh, they kind of set that up earlier in the movie, too. Is it Don't think who you're going to see in real life is who you're expecting kind of thing. I just think it was weird that they were all around in the same fucking area the whole time. Yeah, it it is... It is weird. I like H's change as well. I think the thing that, uh, I think the one that took me out of it was because they put such emphasis on, oh, it's a 3D platform, so you're actually moving around a bit, is that some of, is that the little kid just took me out of it because it's like, okay, no. It's like, I I can't see this little kid doing all those intricate moves. (laughs) That's fair. I I think I probably just turned my brain off there. I didn't think of it, but that's a very fair point if you actually thought about it. Uh, but well, it's because they keep bringing up the track, and it's like they have to put one in a van as well. So Yeah, 
that's a, that's the reason why I just didn't leave my mind. And it also makes me question, why not just make it so that way their minds are just stuck in the world and everything? Mm-hmm. It's like, that was what, and that, it's another thing with the books, because I didn't read the books, but my friend read the book. So we have two, so we have two different uh, ideas of what to go on. And I was like, they should have just made it like their minds go into the virtual world or something. This is sci-fi after all. And he was like, that was what it is in the book. And I, and also Wade was actually fat in the real world, which I honestly think that's a nice twist of having Wade be like an overweight character instead of like the pristine Hollywood look. Yeah. I think I would like the whole twist of them all being in the same area a lot more too. If it was at least split up into two movies, maybe they learn more about who their real life selves are and they start to come together from wherever they were originally. That would have made it more sense. I just feel like it's a bit rough around the edges in that. And also with Simon Pegg's character, who just comes in at the end, which is like, oh, okay, that's really cool. But Yeah, we get to see... We get to see the creator and everything, and uh, he's it's like it's supposed to be a moment of reverence, yet it's also a very humbling moment. You're just entering his house. It's like, that's honestly pretty mm-hmm. cool if you built that up with another movie. Yeah. So, and this is just a weird sense of, I think this was a real fun movie. I think it is a good movie. But man, I think it could have been truly something special if it was split up into two, because there's some parts of this movie that you're like, this, like I said earlier, right? It's giving me Back to the Future vibes. I really like Ty Sheridan in this movie. <laughs> it made me dislike what Fox did with him as Cyclops because I'm like, they did nothing with this man. Uh, you mean Mr. Fantastic? No. Ty Sheridan was uh, Mr. Fantastic, wasn't he? No, Ty Sheridan was Cyclops. Uh, oh, who was it? Mason Teller? Miles Teller. Miles Teller was uh, Mr. Fantastic. Ah, okay. And Fan Four Stick. Fan Four Stick. I paid money to go see that movie. I'm still, I'm still traumatized. I'm so sorry, but you know what's a way better movie than Fan Four Stick? Ready Player Ready One. Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on Ready Player One? I think it's okay. I think it's. Uh, I think what gets me about um, this movie is how it uses its fan service. There are some things where I'm just like, okay, that's an honestly good way of using it. And then other times I'm like, but why? And, it's, and I guess it's because it's like they try to use a lot of fan service that everyone would know about if you, um, if you like just grew up in the um, 1990s and the 2000s. And, you ju- and it's just like, okay, this, is, uh, this honestly could be pretty good if they use it really well. But then it's like they use some of it and it's like, okay, but why the... But why, though? Why would you use this? And where even did the holy hand grenade come from? <laughs> or or um, my biggest complaint is I can't believe they use the Iron Giant like that. <laughs> like, the, anti-gu- the anti-gun doesn't want to fight <laughs> a mech, and you use it to basically be your big versus Godzilla mech. <sighs> I do have a problem with this movie's messaging that it really paints the IO it's IO, right? Yes. Corporation as this EA kind of like 2K or take two to where they're monetizing everything and we're gonna put eighty percent of the ads on the visor for everybody if we get control of the company of of Oasis. And I think that was awesome. I love Ben Mendelssohn's character. 
He was amazing in this movie. What I didn't like was how also there's other like characters in this movie, like the Iron Giant, and then you have Master Chiefs running around. You got Tracer at one point. I think you have Harley Quinn. Batman. Also as an avatar. Batman. And I'm just like, okay, so you're doing the Activision Call of Duty skins. That's similar to the fucking advertising that IO's doing. Like, Oasis seems like it's already kind of riddled with this. <laughs> so I, I feel like it's messaging of, like, video games used to be fun and people love them for that reason and now it's becoming a bit too greedy is getting lost in translation because of all the fan service. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also feel I also feel like the story is also caught between two hard places. Like on one side it's trying to tell you, hey, don't let your um don't let your life go go away. It's like you can enjoy the game and make friends on there, but don't forget the real world. It's like that the whole thing of James Holiday is that he focused so much on creating the Oasis that his that he lost a lot of his life and everything. But then it's like they can't they can't really follow through with that. And the best they can do is, oh, we we turn the Oasis off on these two days every week and that's the best they got. <laughs> Which uh great message great messaging instead of like talking about how the video games are a great world, but don't forget the real one. Yeah, and I think we're getting all of our cons out of the way early here, so I have another one too. So they explain that Oasis is a place where you can die, but you'll be fine in real life, but you'll lose everything you had. Mm-hmm. Okay, why is it whenever Wade gets the key and he has all that money, it's just like a he's famous and paparazzi's around him basically, I don't know. I feel like it's a little too, like, <laughs> I don't know how to put this without being mean. Somebody would have tried to kill Wade and took his shit. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Also, some of the, like, the um, the way to um do the first puzzle, I felt like should have been harder for how much they were trying to hype that up. Because it's like, oh, just drive backwards? Are you telling me no one tried this even for the Oh, levels? I believe that. That's such a random thing. But if you put, like, somebody who solves those Call of Duty Easter eggs, the, you know, the zombie Easter eggs, oh, they would have had that figured out in three days. Yeah. So it, they must not have made it to the Oasis. I doubt that, considering the Oasis is literally everyone's uh, video game to the point you could have your job. You could do your job in the Oasis. It's like, uh, should have had a bit more of a complex problem in that, uh, in that one. Yeah. I think my one last complaint is really, I think this movie has a clash of tone sometimes. Where sometimes we'll be getting, it, it like falls into this like Bat to the Future vibe to where sometimes we'll get serious, sometimes we'll be a comedic moment. But then there's a character like, and I'm not saying this because the actors, I think, alleged issues offset. I'm saying this because I didn't like his character. I didn't like T.J. Miller in this movie. <laughs> I feel like he was not needed to be a comedic relief character. It would have been a lot better if he was just a bounty hunter who was serious. It's just kind of... It just doesn't fit for me. I can understand that. Uh, I, For me, T.J. Miller was... I don't mind a character coming to take the piss out of it if they're like if they're like with other characters who like they are supposed to be the super serious one like Nolan is supposed to be 
like the super serious guy and Iroc is supposed to take the take the piss out of it a bit but um my whole thing was like by eventually like when the movie starts getting into its serious moments the character has to either shut up or shift to that serious moment i think that's what makes and he never does that yeah that's what makes great comedic release great comedic release they know when to be comedy and they know when to be serious so uh yeah i can totally understand my only other um con is samantha it's like her whole the whole thing is like she thinks she's ugly and everything and you wouldn't like her in the real world and stuff and they technically don't commit to that because the best thing she has is a freaking birthmark over her eye she's not even scarred it's like what makes your birthmark ugly i don't even see how you could think this looks ugly if anything i don't I can buy that just because people always think, like, I, there's a lot of people who don't have high self-esteem, period. And sometimes they believe they have flaws when their flaws are minimal at best and they're completely fine. And then they think it's this world-ending thing. And that is something I think people actually do in real life. So I buy that. I think my only issue with Samantha in this movie is the romance with her and Wade is solid. But this goes back to, like, you split into two movies, I buy it a hell of a lot more, and I would actually be really invested into it. Whereas at the end of this movie, I was like, yeah, that's cool. But it does feel like it. We like the two characters didn't really interact much, it seems, before the events of this movie. Yeah, that, that is actually And I think that was the, the flaw. Book. Yeah, that's yeah I think they probably should have known each other. And they were like, I don't think they should have been romantically involved. But rivals. It seems like if they knew, yeah, yeah, rivals or friends or something of that sort, to where they know each other to an extent, to where there's that chemistry there, there's a just, there's something that you can latch on to for this romance. And that's what I think it was missing, that I think a second movie would have really helped out with, with this plot. Uh, but the birthmark thing, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think that just goes into people's self-esteem. And how sometimes they find flaws in themselves that aren't flaws. Yeah, I I would uh I would agree, except that she's around people who see her birthmark all the time. So it's like I feel as though I feel as though at some point she would have realized that maybe she's overdo she's overdoing it. But it's it's whatever. Uh, let's get it. Let's get into the real meat of this movie. Let's get into the positives. Let's get into the real meat of this movie. Uh, where you want to start? I think I want to start out with characters and stand-up performances, because I think they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Can I start with mine? Sure. Ben Mendelsohn. Because he plays this fake suit so well, who's pretending to be the cool, hip, like, I know the cool things to say, I know what people want to hear, I play video games too, how do you do, fellow kids? He plays that role very, very well in this movie. And I just, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I uh, thought he was a standout performance as well. I also like that his avatar is Superman. Showing his uh, twisted view of it, he views, he chooses Clark Kent Superman specifically. And he, he's like still in a suit, but he's like, but he's like drawn to be the Alex Ross Superman. And this is where like the Easter eggs kind of get me. Because the change of eye color is something that Superman will also go through if you have an evil Superman. And they did that too, especially when he detonated the catalyst and he had red eyes. 
that that got me. But Ben Mendelsohn just That's kills cool. it for me. Because he was able to display the cold, ruthless mentality of of a head of a of a head of a company conglomerate, and he was also like, "Oh, uh, I can ease, I can like uh, be ch- cheerful. I can hang out with the hip, cool kid. How you doing, fellow kids? You play, <laughs> uh, you winning, son? <laughs> sort of deal. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he. It's honestly really good that." Um, they got him because he honestly feels like he honestly feels sort of one note, but at the same time, you also feel like he has some small depth to him, not too much to where it's like, ah, we can't have like the evil villains anymore, but enough to where you feel like, yes, this is him um, being pushed into a corner at the same time. He needs the Oasis. So he needs to grab it. I like that. I like it a lot. I think really, like in terms of other standouts, I really like the entire cast. I, I will say Ty Sheridan's my other one. Lena Waithe is mine because she mm-hmm. pulls off she pulls off that um uh, that trying to be someone else online pretty easily. I could tell straight away even before they started mentioning, "Hey, you never know who's go um who's going to be in real life." Right before um. Before even any of that was mentioned, I knew, okay, so H is, like, possibly a girl or, like, maybe an maybe a adult or something. But just, we're not seeing who H really is. Well, Percival wears himself on his sleeve. So, I was honestly pretty cool with that. I also like that through H, we get a lot of the awesome character development. I mean, not character development, world development. It's like... Oh, so you can yeah. get stuff repaired in the Oasis as well, and H does that, gets paid a lot of money to do so as well. It's like, that's honest, it's honestly a lot of nice world building that we get with H that I don't think Percival has. With Percival, a lot of stuff just happens. With H, we get to see how the world works a bit more. I really like H's character, too, because whenever you see H in the real world, there's this sense of... Once they see who I am, they're going to be kind of what Samantha thought. Like they're going to be disappointed. They're going to feel some type of way. And I don't know. I feel like who was the actor who played H? Uh, Lena Waithe. I think that's how you pronounce the name. Lena Waithe played it very well. To whereas to me, it felt like she had this like relief in a way. Whenever they were just like, "Oh, dude, that's awesome." Like it, it was just a great feeling of oh no, they're just all friends. Yeah, like you can just tell through the performances. Like they did such a good job there, towards all these characters did feel like friends, both in real life and in the Oasis. So that was really well done. Um, I want to talk about the world building. Go ahead. Uh, first off, I do want to go back. Ty Sheridan, I think again does a great job in this movie as the lead. And once again, I just want to throw some shade at the Fox X-Men movies. How did you cast this man as Cyclops and not do a damn thing with him? Yeah, it's like, come on, come on, guys. This guy was, it's like, if if all the acting he did in Red Player One is any indication, it's like he is constantly being um, put down in roles because he got to act his butt off. And I love the physical acting he does, too, because some of the stuff we could tell just from what, what, um what way the does. personality shift yeah like the personality shift he has from in real life he's this timid kid who is being abused by his aunt's boyfriend and his aunt's putting up with it and saying she's gonna kick him out too 
and you just feel really bad for the kid. And then whenever he gets into the Oasis, he's not like uber confident, but he's just allowed to be himself. And he and his walk his walk is more relaxed and everything. His shoulders aren't hunched. But also when he first meets the uh, holiday um, Gandalf thing, I don't know what he I don't know if it's Gandalf or another wizard, but I think it's Gandalf. Uh, but when he meets the holiday thing, he gets on his knees and it's kind of like this reverence. And I think that goes to the end of the movie where he's talking to him and he's realizing this guy I've looked up to my whole life, he's not vilifying him or anything, but he's realizing, no, you are a flawed human being now. Yeah. You made mistakes. I'm not going to make the same mistakes you did. And I thought that was a great character arc for, uh, Wade there. But getting into the world building, I find that to be possibly the most interesting part of this movie. And the most, like, I, I know we hate the f- whole everything's going to be a franchise and a cinematic universe. But this is one of those franchises or one of the worlds that I'm like, I want to see more. Because I find it very interesting. See, for me, I think the, the world building has some great ideas. I don't think it's all put in very well with the world because as we go on with the movie and everything you realize oh only the important characters have unique any sort of creative uh avatars and everything and you don't see any creative avatars besides for the important characters it's and that's one of the telling things that says oh the butler is an actual player which again i could guess because of that mindset they didn't want to create any slightly deviant characters for any other um for anyone else so it's like you could tell who was actually a player and what were like the background characters and stuff and in that final battle you think like oh this could be pretty interesting we're gonna have some we're gonna have some characters that we are familiar with and some custom characters because people which you do see some custom characters you see some master chiefs i believe you see king kong as well yeah, but again, those are just IP really. characters, not actual like custom characters. Like, you yeah, could... not like the avatars that you see Artemis and uh, Percival have. Yeah, if the, I have a feeling that if it was animated, they would have been able to do a bit more with that. But at the same, but it's like I get why like they did it, but it's also like it made it very telling who was actually important to the story in the movie and who wasn't. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something a potential if they I, I think I remember reading somewhere that they were in development for a part two. I think that's something like a sequel could be like, okay, we did a decent job in the first one. Let's do better when it comes to crafting unique characters for not our main cast. So like you just said, nobody can really complain about oh, so only the main cast actually look like actual characters. <laughs> Everybody else seems like an NPC out there. So I, yeah. I understand that. But yeah. I love the interesting, like, I love the interesting dynamic that, as you said back in your general thoughts, I think, people have jobs in the Oasis. People are actually making money in the Oasis. I find that very intriguing, considering our world today. And you can see, it pretend, like, we're not, I think people will talk on podcasts and TV shows and they'll be like, we're 10 years away from this. And I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't think we're 10 years away from that, but I can see it. Like, in 20, 30 years, us getting to a point to where we're ever here in, I don't want to say VR, but at least digitally doing a lot of, like we are now. Like, shit, we're doing podcasts right now. 
And people do that for their job. People are on YouTube for their job. People do other kind of work that is digital. And I can see them going from just purely digital like that to a VR setting. And that's their new real life. Yeah. Even one of the things I used to criticize about the movie has sort of come into reality. Like, there are people in the office going into the Oasis and doing work and stuff. And I was like, well, why aren't they just at home? And it's like, oh, I see now. Because they big the bigwigs paid for the building, so they need to be able yeah. to come into the office and stuff. And other stuff. It's like, originally I was critical of that. Now it's like, oh, that makes sense now to me. Is there anything else about the world building that you really want to talk about? I really like the whole idea that instead of doing something crazy where people are excited with this game, but they, but then it's like you're risking your life being on there, it's instead, oh no, it's all your stuff. I feel like that change makes it far more believable that people would go into this world. Yes. I, I think if they made it to where is if you die in there, you die in real life, really fucking stupid. Yeah. Like, why would anybody do that? <laughs> yeah. uh, I also do like how the real world is portrayed. It's like, oh, we have trailers that are stacked on top of each other now. Because it doesn't matter as much anymore. Like, the virtual... I love... See, I love that because you can see, especially in 2023, watch this movie and be like, shit, that really might be... Maybe not to that scale, of course. That might really be the future <laughs> yeah. where things are going here. Which, I'm not here to tell you whether that's a good or bad thing. But it's just, it's curious to look at. It's interesting to see in a movie and for it to be seen as, oh, you can have jobs in the Oasis. You can play games in the Oasis. You're earning money. You're getting upgrades. You're getting weapons, all this stuff. And you can be anybody you want to be there. And I find that, sorry to say this in my times, but it's just very interesting. It is interesting. And one of the things that I also learned is that there are actually professional World of Warcraft players that do it for that do it for money because they're able to sell the stuff they have in game for real world cash by selling it on eBay or like just doing or like a clearing out a dungeon and saying I can sell you my account and they actually like take it and I was very very shocked to figure that out and then when Ready Player One came in I was like I can believe this. I can believe somehow they ch they changed it with money, especially with how popular it is that it seems like everyone in the United States is basically on this game. Yeah. I do wish we knew if there were any, like, safe zones or anything, because I feel like if there are no safe zones, this game would be dead. I, I don't mean the crap on this movie. Again, this is a, to me, I think it's a really good movie, and it's a really fun movie. My one, I actually forgot a complaint. My one last complaint, dude... Where are the authorities this entire movie? You're, there's no authorities in the Oasis at all. Like, there's nobody tracking to make sure, like, there's no heinous shit going on. Also, in real life. It depends on how the game is run. So, if, like, so from it seems like where the game is, this is built more like an RP, a massive multiplayer RPG, in which case, there are no authorities. Now, that's one of the reasons why I was like, there need to be safe zones, because that's supposed to replace the authorities. In safe zones, you cannot kill or harm other players and everything, yeah. and like that would be like, oh, if you're in a safe zone, you're okay, you're never gonna hit the PvP-style stuff. 
while it while in um the oasis it feels like they have to take that out so that way a lot of the action can happen and i think the easiest thing to do would be just have the keys be in non-safe zones yeah well it goes back to what i was saying whenever percival gets famous and there's nobody there like, there's no consequences you're not actually killing somebody and I mean, you're you're looking at it like I'm looking at it like it's a video game. Kill that person, take their stuff. That person's fine in real life, but I'm taking their stuff. Maybe I shouldn't be looking at it like it's a video game because it's more than that in this movie. Yeah, it's more like but, a virtual extension of real life. Yeah. So I think that's probably my like like where I'm coming from is just being a little clouded because I'm just looking at it because of all the Easter eggs and all the fan service to video games. I'm just looking through that tunnel. But I should be looking also like, no, it like you said, an extension to real life as well. So people wouldn't be as like quick to, yeah, I'm just going to kill them and take their shit. Because if you played something like GTA Online, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, <laughs> you can't do shit in that game without somebody killing you and taking <laughs> what you got. Yep. So <laughs> I would figure that something like the Oasis would be similar. But... The world building in this movie, while not perfect, is still really well done. Still really good. I would love to see, as I said before, this explored in another installment. And kind of just ironing out everything that didn't necessarily get explained very well. Or would, like you said, something like Safe Zones. I think that would be an interesting uh, avenue to go down in a part two. That yeah. there could be safe zones in the oasis. Yeah, maybe that's what the high. What what are they called? The high five. Uh, I don't remember. I just watched this movie. I should remember more. I also took notes, by the way. This is how dumb I am, people. <laughs> but their clan, them taking over. Maybe that's what they implement is safe zones. Yeah. In a part two, I think that'd be cool. But I, I think this is a movie that surprisingly i'd be down to see a franchise out of just because of the world building alone i would hope it's like an animated franchise because i don't think they'll be able to keep having uh like live action people do this but i would love to see an anime an animation of like the ready player one world and the stuff that takes place in it like i think what this i think what ready player one reminds me of the most is sao and that if you know that anime and stuff Mm-hmm. And it like in SA, SAO, it's like we revealed like there are, we, there's revealed like a game where you can play for real money, and uh, it's revealed after the the um, main character gets out of a death game, where it's like that one you do die if you um, die in real life, and it's not known until they're all trapped in it. But it's like he starts playing that game. Or initially, it's because the government asked him because he's one of the top players in uh, virtual reality games to like go into that game to find someone who may be restarting the death game but then it's like in that world they he also starts playing it for money it's like he pays for his lifestyle with that after um the investigation's over it's like all that stuff makes it super interesting of a world that's created and everything now sao is not the pinnacle of good storytelling sorry sao fans it's true (laughs) but um I do feel like I do feel like um this world could be explored in the same way SAO is. Like how has it evolved? What did the high five do now that um they literally are like the richest people in the world? They are the corporation now, basically. Yeah. Do they get changed by that? 
Yeah. And see, I, that's what I'm saying. That I hate to be that guy because I think the MCU and the DCEU, the way that they're going currently, uh, it's. I think there's a lot of sentiment going around that's like, oh man, I'm just... It's not superhero fatigue, I think. I think it's a feeling of, do we need another one? Like, Fast and Furious. Anytime a new trailer comes out, you see so many YouTube videos and so many articles going like, okay, here's another one. Here we go again. And I know that people are tired, I think, of just, okay, another franchise, another franchise. This does fit it, though. But I do disagree with you about animation. And the reason I do is not because of some weird, like, oh, yeah, I don't think animation's highbrow, because I don't agree at all. I I look at Invincible. I look at some of the animated DC movies I've seen and be like, I prefer that over to live-action stuff. I think there's a lot of fantastic things that's better than live-action stuff I've seen. Yeah. And... I think the reason I think this would not work in animation is because it works in this hybrid kind of world. To where we're seeing the CGI and special effects compared to the real-life live-action set pieces. So my my thought of it would be go the Code Lyoko style, where you have 2D animation for the for what is supposed to be the real world. And the 3D CGI style animation for what is supposed to be the virtual world. I always like that. That might work. That might, like, I'm still not on board. But if I had to get on board, that might be the way to do it. But it's like, I think, like, the like, the differences between the styles would, uh, would like, build people in, get them more, inve- get them more invested and see the worlds as different worlds. I also think it's, like, it's just good to go with... Um, if you're going to go for a long form storytelling and stuff, and especially if you're going to try and bring people back to replay the roles and everything, it's like, okay, it's probably best to like do voice actors in 2D style and stuff. Cause then it's like, if they come back, they don't have to do the extraneous movements and stuff that will require from live action and stuff. Also, it's a virtual world. CGI is cool, but you're still limited to like the physical of what your actors can do most of the time whereas in animation there is no limit it's like you can see you thought like uh iron giant versus mechagodzilla was cool imagine like that gundam suddenly evolves into the gundams of the current day and it's like just suddenly shoots across the stars and having a lightsaber battle with a giant darth vader that is something that animation would be awesome at doing it's like visuals will honestly pop with it you're kind of winning me over just a little bit but regardless it's a moot point because they're probably going to be doing the same thing if they do make a part two live action to what they were doing before and probably getting some of the cast back if they can yeah and moving forward there so it's a moot point but it's it's interesting to talk about like what would you prefer if we were to get more from this franchise in terms of this movie though what did you think of the story overall for me, it reminded me a lot of, <laughs> I have here my last note. This is the weirdest remake of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory that I've ever seen. It's kind of true, though. Uh... But it's so much better. Like, okay, I'm, this is a hot take. I know as kids we watch that movie, and I think there's a lot of love for that movie. But 
you know, we don't like to talk politics and what people are saying and get into real life stuff here. But I find it hilarious that the older generations talk about, you know, millennials and then Gen Z's and they're always like, oh, they're lazy. They don't like to work and all that stuff. And I think back to Willy Wonka and I'm like, Charlie didn't earn shit. <laughs> Charlie was given that chocolate factory. He His was. uncle was bedridden. Bedridden, Drew. <laughs> and then as soon as Charlie comes in with that golden ticket, oh, I'm spry as can be. I can jump around and do anything. There's three other people in that bed, too. Logistically, I'm curious on how that actually worked. But besides the point, Charlie doesn't earn shit that entire movie. And then you watch Ready Player One and you're like, this is what Charlie and Charlie Factor should have fucking been. <laughs> this guy, Wade earns it. He goes through, finds all the, not all three Easter eggs, uh, Artemis finds the second one. But he figures a lot of it out. He has a team. They figure it out. They're working. They're working to the bone. Their people die. There's stakes here. The Charlie and the Charlie Factory. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie and Chocolate. Sorry, I'm going on weird rant. Charlie here. and the that Chocolate Willy Wonka Factory. That Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory did not have. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's because um, the whole thing about the Chocolate Factory and both movies, the Charlie one and the Willy Wonka one, which. Side note, it's ironic that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is more about Charlie, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is more about Willy Wonka, but whatever. Uh, I think it's more about integrity with uh, those movies, which is why like nobody really earns anything, because everyone's like an entitled piece of shit. But integrity is also a thing in this movie, but it also feels more genuine because the characters are actually active in doing shit. Yeah, and I fully agree, and I fully agree, and yeah, you're right, this is what a modern-day Charlie and the Chocolate Factory probably would be if they ever really recreated the movie, um, where Charlie has to actively, like, earn the ticket or, like, earn his way way of getting the prize. I like the, um, I like the story of that with Wade and Parsifal and everything, and I like how, um, he has to, like, be creative to try and earn the, uh, series. He's, like, studying his mentor and everything, what I and again I want to like just give unbridled praise to that because it's like it's a good message. I just feel like for the sake of the story and everything, there should have been like something else to like block their way because it feels like no one is thinking of dissecting Holiday and everything. It's like this is and it, just to put this into a situation, this isn't like you're getting like the best weapon in the game or like you get a a exclusive item that only one person will get this is literally you get the whole thing the oasis the thing that everyone is in that all their money is in you're basically getting an economy and no one is delving into the uh stuff into the holidays life more to get clues no one is trying any crazy no crap? people are the entire movie the uh easter egg hunters that are working for io which by the way hilarious how at the end of the movie they're actually rooting for wade just because yeah. they want to know they're like yeah man get he got the key they were so excited i'm like you are working for the bad guys why are you cheering well oh, because, because they, they want to know they want to know they want to know and they did have they this is pretty much their job it's like they're doing this for for money it's like the look at that yeah. economy out there man it's like you don't want to be living in one of those stack trailer parks that can be bombed at any moment and the police don't investigate at all yeah 
Yeah, I mean, you really don't. And yeah, but um, you also have the people trying to do the race, and I think there are people trying to figure it out. But I think it's a case of Halliday died years ago. I think if I remember correctly, it was like five years ago. Yeah, and that's the whole thing that's get that's getting me because it's like it happened five years ago, and not one person drove backwards. That's why I'm like, okay, me. Okay, I wish like there was something a little bit more thing. Like even just doing the Rainbow Road thing where there's actually a secret um tunnel that is not seen but you have to just enter at the precise point in order to do would have been far more of a good way of hiding the clue than driving backwards because someone did it on accident or purpose already and it wouldn't take 5 years. But to your point here what you're talking about saying like it doesn't make sense how not everybody is looking for these keys because of what's at stake with it i think it makes a lot of sense because you look at how long it's been since holiday died and also just the human motivation like that we have sometimes i think we oh yeah we didn't get this instant gratification we worked at it it didn't work okay i'm just gonna go do what i was doing some people are complacent some people don't want to reach for it, you know? So I think it's that case of it's been a few years since he died, and there was probably a big rush to start with. But now it's kind of what I think... I think Wade even says that at the beginning. Like, people have stopped looking just because nobody's been able to do it. Well, you're probably right when you're talking about, like, it's a Mario Kart Easter egg, basically. You just drive backwards. And yeah, fair, I guess, if you want to look into that first key and been like, yeah, you could have made it a little bit more difficult. But yeah. it does make sense for why people aren't looking into the keys as much at the start of the movie. Yeah, and it's like, I don't mind it not being a major thing, but it's just that first clue keeps tripping me up because it's so easy and, like, someone would have done so, even if just for shits and giggles. Uh, but talking about the story overall here, what do you think about the story? I think it's pretty good. Like, again, yeah. we mentioned this before. It's rushed. It is super rushed, and that does take a few points from it. But I think it's pretty good because it's trying to tell you all this stuff from the get-go. It has a lot to do, right? And yeah. not to, like, steal your thunder here, but it has characters to introduce. It has characters to get the audience attached to. And it has so much it has to do. It has to make you invested into the world and explain the world at the same time. And yeah, like you said, it's a bit rushed, right? But for it to be as good of a movie as it is, and for it to be as fun as it is, I think that's a testament to the writing team, to the director, Steven Spielberg, to the cast, to really everybody on the crew. Like, for it to be rushed and the movie being as good as it is, I think is a testament to the talent yeah. that were involved. And yeah, and just because I don't know if we have this in the um in our little schedule thing or layout, whatever, but I do want to say that for most of the uh designs for the unique characters, they're really good. Like, Iroch is one of my favorite of the designs just because you can feel like, yeah, this is a guy who delves into the game heavily. He it's like he's got so many unique custom stuff on him, but has a theme going on that you know he's heavily invested into the game. You can tell why he's one of the top players and why an entire company wants to back him up. You have, um, Percival is honestly the weakest of them, in my opinion. 
Like, he's just... Oh, he's pretty anime boy, but in CG. Uh, H, H is almost there, but it's like... I like the idea of the cyborg... I think it's an orc without the teeth. It's like... I can't recognize... The cyborg stuff was really cool. Especially, we're going to talk about the Shining sequence. Probably my favorite sequence of the whole movie. Yeah, they they went ham on that. But um, I like Artemis and her designs and everything and how, in a way, she's sort of trying to keep her birthmark because the designs sort of mimic her birthmark. Uh, so it's like, that's a, that's a nice touch and everything. And even the even the ninja guys, it's like, it's standard, but at the same time, I can see why the brothers would do that to, like, stick t- closer to each other. It's it's like, it's nice flourishes in the design to show character. What, um... But overall in the story, I like it. I like the, um, I like most of the Easter eggs. Still want to know where the hell the holy hand grenade comes from. Because if that's Monty Python, then I have some problems there. But we will get into that. The story to me, and this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this thing, right? It gives me Bad to the Future vibes. It gives me the feeling of those movies, right? The Jurassic Park, the Bat to the Future, to where it's like, oh, this is a... Pretty simple story. Like it gets weird at certain points, and you know it has a lot of exposition it's throwing on you, but it just from it takes me back to those kind of movies, you know, in a very good way. It doesn't hit the mark of those classic films, sadly for me at least. But I love how it gives me the feeling of those movies. Yeah, it's like it, the whole movie is trying to. Remind you of those classic movies and feelings and everything. And I think I like where it, do- where it does that because the Easter egg is supposed to get you into that sense. But the story is also supposed to tell you don't forget about the real world and the life you've been making here. I feel like it tro- I feel like that's the only... Th- well, not the only, but I feel like that's the major thing of where it falls for me. Because it just doesn't land on that message. But overall, I think it is a great story. And the quarter that the um, guy gives for the um, Life Up is also pretty cool and a nod to arcades. That was a great twist there, because they're like, wait a minute, how the hell is he alive? What kind of shenanigans are we pulling here? Um, In terms of, like, our favorite, least favorite moments from this movie overall, like I said earlier, the Shining sequence, my favorite in the entire movie. I thought it was so well done, and seeing it through H's eyes there, who are like, oh, I don't, I don't like scary movies. So she has no idea <laughs> what's coming. And you're just like, I know what's coming. Don't do that. Don't follow those two twin girls. This is not going to end well for you. It's like, I don't like scary movies, man. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <sighs> the maze part. I'm so glad they didn't pull the Jack Nicholson cameo that I thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to do the CGI stuff and show Jack Nicholson. They never show old Jack Torrance. Yeah. Which was great, but that's who was chasing H in that moment. Yeah, I also like that the book is the countdown where it's like the pages of the book. It's harkening back to Jack and like how he's trying to finish the book and in a way he does, just not really the way he wanted. (laughs) That's very good point. I saw I ended up uh ended up deleting Reddit 
a few weeks back because the whole blackout thing, and I was just like, I haven't been using Reddit in a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to delete it. That is, but before I did, I saw this post saying, like, it's kind of funny when you think about it. If Jack just recorded what he saw in the hotel, it would have made for a great book. True that. <laughs> he would have been fine. <laughs> and I was just like, shit. That's a very good point. He could have just been a best-selling author and moved on with his life instead of a psycho killer. Well, it's not like but, the uh, house. Well, it was like the house was trying to push him into that. And it's like you can't tell yeah. me that the house wasn't haunted, but the fact that his photo appears in one of the old photos. Yeah, which I, that wasn't part of the book, though, was it? I don't think it was. I think that was one I was reading Stephen, which was mentioned in this movie, saying Stephen King did not like the movie. Which is incredibly ironic, because... I did not read the book, but even if that is the case, Stephen, you put a psychic child in literally every one of your stories. Don't hearken on adding another supernatural element just because it's not exactly the way you want it. It's it's incredibly ironic that Stephen King doesn't like The Shining, considering how popular it is because of the movie as well. But if I remember correctly, I don't think the photo bit is in the novel. Hmm. Uh, but it's been a long, long time since I read The Shining. Like high school days. <laughs> uh, either way, we're not talking about The Shining here. We're talking about Ready Player One, which had a fantastic Shining sequence in the movie. I really did like the final fight. Even though I had my issues with using existing IPs and it just clashing with the idea of executives trying to monetize everything. I did really like Mechagodzilla versus Iron Giant. I loved the whole Gundam part at the end. Even though I'm not huge into Gundam, I was just like, man... I'm not huge into this franchise, and I'm fucking hyped. I can only imagine people who are Gundam fans how they're feeling right now. I thought all of that was awesome. I thought it was great just how they were going through on the DeLorean, and they were throwing weapons to them. It was just random fucking weapons. All of that was fantastic. And including the ending with the bomb at the end, and Iraq was even like, you no, don't blow this up. You know how much shit I have on me right now? Even he was turning against them at the end. I thought that was really good. That was the one part of the whole movie I liked the character. I do like the uh, that because it shows how desperate he is. It's like, okay, we can literally just send more people back here to grab it and everything, but it's time to scorch Earth and start over and stuff. Like that's that's a nice thing. I do think like the ending fight is like it's the most visual. It's the most visuals that you will get. I don't think it's most visually appealing because The Shining just did too well. Uh, but I do like the um, I do like how they go about it and how um the final fight they're using these different weapons and everything. Like Chucky is literally a weapon. <laughs> you throw it and he tries yeah, to that kill was everything. Awesome. <laughs> it's like it's like that's pretty cool. Now you like I said it before. I don't like the Iron Giant being used as a weapon. It's just not something that I feel like fits with the Iron Giant character. I think it's because it's constantly True. being used as a weapon in most of his stuff and i'm like that's not how he's supposed to use though he's the anti-gun he hates guns that's the whole thing but i i kind of looked at it like you're 100 percent right but i kind of looked at it as i just it was fan service and maybe that's me looking through rose tinted glasses and going against what my thoughts are on like oh it uses fan service sometimes to its detriment hmm. but I, I did just enjoy it for just seeing the iron giant again and for it not being the Iron Giant from Space Jam 2, which is just a far less version of this movie. Um, but besides the point, I, I know you also mentioned the Shining sequence is better. I agree with you. 
That's not a shot to this final sequence at all. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a build up the shining sequence. The ending to that sequence was so good too because it was just such an emotional thing to where Holiday is a character that is very likable, but man, you see the flaws there and you're just like Well, I think I also like what it really does is highlight what Wade has to learn in the movie. It's like Holiday yeah. while he was this great dude, he has a lot of flaws. He had a lot of flaws, and even Holiday is looking back at himself. He made these challenges. He looks back at himself and all the problems he and made. He realizes it. Yeah, yeah. And Samantha tells him he, he, she tries to be like she would seem like a fantastic lady, and he just stops her. I'm like, I, I know. I just, I can't hear it. Like it's, t- it hurts him too much. Yeah. To even talk about it, and it's just like, damn, man, that like it emotionally hits where you think it wouldn't. And I think it hits also at the end, don't get me wrong, whenever Wade and Halliday are talking. And even though you do have the one great moment there to where the truck like swerves and he accidentally almost hits the delete everything. And Holiday's like, try not to delete the entire game on the first day. I thought that was one of the best lines in the movie. My question is, wouldn't you put a pin code in that? It's like, come on, man. Put the pin code and the button. How about that? Just don't make it a button by itself. But besides the point, (laughs) other than that one moment, it was very serious, very emotional, and it reminded me of that ending of the Shining action sequence. In a way, so I, this movie hits in its action and its comedy a lot of the ways, except for T.J. Miller's character, and in the emotional moments for the most part, which I find very endearing. Like again, I think just the talent involved makes this movie, which on paper you look at what the flaws are with it, you're like, okay, this is a solid, this is a fine six and a half, seven out of ten movie for me. Because of the talent elevating it is like shit. This is a solid eight, maybe eight and a half for real. Like it's just, it is just really fun. I can see myself watching this on a random day, kind of what Tristan has said in the past, right? But I think it's just elevated above those. Like, oh, it's fine if I see it on FX, I'll watch it. But it's one of those that I'll be excited to find it on FX. You know, like yeah. oh man, Ready Player One's on. Yeah, sure, I'll throw it on that. It's one of those kind of movies, not just eh, I'll throw it on. Yeah, for me, I think it's a seven point. I think it's a seven point five. Uh, cause and it's just cause like I like a lot of the stuff in it, but you've heard my pro some of my problems with it and stuff. And I think those problems just take it a little bit down for me. But it's not to knock the movie itself. I think it's really good. I think some small small rewrites would elevate the movie for me. Like just have. It's like, um, because the other two challenges are honestly really interesting and feel like, yeah, you have to really know Holiday and stuff. And also, you still have to be a good player to get the keys and everything. It's just that first challenge that gets me. Uh, five years, my butt. <laughs> but, um, I do like, um, I do like this movie. I think it's really cool. And if it pops up, I'd be like, hey, why don't we just watch this? <laughs> we kind of went into our final thoughts, but I kind of don't want to end this episode yet. We have a little bit more to get into. <laughs> So we're doing this out of order. Yeah. Well, how about we? Uh, well, how about we talk about what we think about like some of the other stuff? Like the soundtrack on this movie is pretty good too. Yeah, I think there's a lot of movie, especially recently with the. We'll be doing a spoiler talk for the Mario Brothers movie here soon. And while I really do like the Mario Brothers movie, I think it's a really damn good movie. Way better than people were giving it credit for pre-release. 
I do think it could have been better soundtrack wise to where it used so many licensed songs and you're just like, come on now. Come on, Illumination. It fit for this movie. Yeah. It just it, it it's a matter of fitting in with the movie that's being presented. Because I think James Gunn and Guardians Three, for example, and the Guardians franchise, the type of music that's played in that those movies, it makes so much fucking sense, right? It fits in. They the songs feel like characters in a way. And then you look at something like Suicide Squad twenty sixteen. It just seems like somebody put on a Spotify playlist of very good songs. Don't get me wrong. Classic songs. But you're just like, it doesn't fit for the movie you're telling. You're all over the place. It just seems like you're trying to get licensed music. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I think Ready Player One used licensed music to its advantage. It felt like it was part of the movie instead of, man, I feel distracted. Like a Suicide Squad or at times the Super Mario Brothers movie. I agree, and it it also is because since this thing is a bunch of um, Easter eggs and cameos and, like, in your face with a lot of them as well, it's like the whole thing is supposed to feel like um, you're getting, you're, like, seeing your childhood appear on the screen as a movie. It's like having those songs that you definitely grew up with, like, will help a lot. And even some of the songs you associate with other movies, it's like this cascade down your childhood in a way and i feel like the soundtrack allowing the soundtrack to be with licensed music and everything is what make is what makes um the soundtrack so good here but also you still get some good action style music that is original and stuff so like that too yeah definitely what are your thoughts on the ending of this movie overall i like the ending of the movie uh, some of the stuff gets me like, oh, we decided to shut it down on, I forget which two days they said they shut it down on. But, Tuesdays and Thursdays. See, I remember that, but sometimes I won't remember characters' names. I don't, I'm, I'm fucking stupid, man. It's our brains, man. <laughs> Please it's our continue. Brains. But, um, my whole thing, uh, my whole thing with it is like, what if there are people who only can get on the Oasis on those days, maybe like a counter for to get people off and to like eat and sleep and stuff? It's like I feel like okay, um, they rushed for they rushed for their um cathartic ending and everything. They didn't think, oh, what would be the best way of having the real world still affect the other world? But that's fine because I still like I still like the ending. Wait, if it wasn't for the actors, I do not think I would like um Percival and Artemis's romance as much. Because they do elevate it because it's super fast. And it's like everyone telling Wade, hey, you don't know what this person is like in real life. Maybe you don't like how they really look and stuff. And it's like, really wish that was actually tested. But the, but uh, it's fine. It's fine. But my, um, the ending I like. I really do like. And I like the fact that is Wade's knowledge of Easter eggs and everything. And how um for once he's slow it's like he feels like he's slowly truly appreciating what the easter egg actually is it's just something fun that the developers are actually putting in instead of something to be revered it's something like just simple and nice to him so i like that yeah it just feels like a combination of sorry i feel like i've been repeating myself the whole episode of which probably should have been two movies but instead it was just like one let's cram everything in here movie of Wade's arc 
of learning like okay i need to take a step back from the oasis i i love the oasis but i need to also spend time in real life and treasure what i have basically and what i could be in real life i thought that was a great message i thought it was a great arc for him to go through and i I like how that whole arc and that whole story is just it's kind of hidden in a way it feels a bit like a Easter egg sometimes with everything else going on. Yeah. With all the crazy action, the video game Easter eggs, all that stuff. Like, And even the video game stuff that they're trying to say with the gaming industry. And them going like, we're going to put ads all over the visor, basically, of what players are going to see. And that felt, that felt like such a shot. <laughs> to the 2Ks and EAs. Mm-hmm. But within all that is this very sweet and emotional story about a kid learning like, you know, I need to I, I need to take a step back and take account for what I can be in the world and what I can do. Uh, before we go, any other favorite, least favorite moment? There's a lot of stuff in this movie. That's why I want to go over it one more time. I don't really have any least favorite moments. Like, even the flaws I have with the movie, I'm just like, yeah, I can't hate on it. Like, I, it's just, it was really fun, and it hits in a lot of the ways that I think a movie that you'll remember hits. In the emotional beats, with the characters, all that stuff. Um, I love the bit, too, whenever they're uh, inceptioning Ben Mendelsohn's character. <laughs> yeah I thought that was awesome because I was very fucking confused for a second I was like wait a minute this movie's about to lose me and it got <laughs> me right back and I was like okay never mind movie you did a really cool thing uh yeah love the love the hacking bit it's like oh we're in his system and everything it's like that's pretty good uh I don't think I have a least favorite moment either like I guess if it, if I had to choose, it's the driving backwards sequence. Cause yeah, I know your least favorite moment. I think the entire audience listening to this episode knows. They're like, I know you don't like fucking driving backwards, Drew. I, I just it. don't like it being the answer. It's not a bad scene. I just don't like it being the answer. <laughs> it's like even Anything if like else? they just even if like just oh he's he's in the uh, he's under the course now. It's like he still's got to drive the best he can on this unknown course. I think it would be better than just, oh, just drive backwards and you totally got it. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else before we get out of here? (laughs) That's not driving backwards and repeating ourselves for the 50th thousandth time. Uh, I am fine repeating it. It deserves to be repeated. (laughs) Uh. As soon as, like, next episode you come back on, you just reference it. You're like, uh, I still don't like how he just drove back. <laughs> and I'm not even on the episode with you. It's Tristan. Tristan's just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Ready Player One. I just, I don't Ready like Player One has just been stuck in my head, man. It's like I just don't like him driving For weeks. Backwards. Episode was like a month ago, man. And it's still bad. Wrestling movie's great, though. It's very fun. Very good. I don't mean... I'm doing the same thing, repeating like the same adjectives to describe it, but it's it just is what it is. Yeah, I don't think like Ready Player One is not gonna like change your life or everything. It's a nostalgic trip, and even if it's not a nostalgic trip, it's a great thing to just go in for like Easter eggs and to have fun. And it's a nostalgic trip that's not perfect, but I will say I think it's it doesn't feel like a cash grab. And at the end of the day, 
it's still better than Space Jam 2. <laughs> That's such a low bar, but it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. It's better than Willy Wonka and the Trolley Factory as well. <laughs> um, uh. I will also say, like, in terms of, uh, just on the nostalgia trip, I think that's also a problem right now with movies. Oh, yeah. As you look at the MCU, you look at the multiverse, you look at the Flash, which, I'm going to be honest with y'all, I disagreed with a lot of what you said about that in the spoiler talk. But at the same time, it's just, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the movie industry. It's like, nostalgia this, nostalgia that. It feels like such a fucking cash grab, right? It just it doesn't feel like it's coming from a genuine place of somebody loves this thing and they want other people to remember it and be like, oh man, that's I I I love that thing too. This feels like that kind of feeling. Like, oh man, Steven Spielberg, he's hearkening back to those movies and the video games that kids grew up and played and loved. And he wants you to have that feeling back. It doesn't feel like so-and-so in a random five seconds of cameo in the Flash movie. Honestly, when I go back and think about it, I realize that those harkens to, like, those super old superhero stuff, it's like, those are, it's like, it's kind of weird to put nostalgia bait for those old series and stuff in the movie. And then also I start realize, I started to realize this is kind of, it's like for some of the stuff, like the Nicolas Cage one, I like because that never happened. So there's no way you can have nostalgia for it. It's just fun if you know about it. But I would say spoilers, but The Flash is kind of bombing right now. So I figure if you haven't seen the movie, you probably don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> about spoilers. So also, I, if I you've know. seen the, also, if you've seen literally just one season of The Flash, you know everything that happens in the movie. The director also, I don't, was it the director or Nick Cage? One of them actually spoiled this, that cameo, in, like, before the movie. So, I'm going to keep that in. I have not heard uh, of well, that. Well, it was spoiled so. before the movie came out, regardless. Yeah, I have not heard and of it's that. It's been a few I weeks. I did. <laughs> but, um, but um, the whole thing with nostalgia to me is, at some point, people are going to wise up. They're just done with the nostalgia and everything. And even me, it's like, I like I like um, cameos and everything, but I feel like the superhero genre, especially the animated one, has done it so much better because it's like there are stuff where it's like you have like the actual nostalgia coming back and it affects it. Like I hate Teen Titans Go, for instance, but Teen Titans Go versus versus the original Teen Titans is like it. It is one of those things where it is purposely like getting in your face with how different they are. But it still is enjoyable. Also, and Teen Titans Go to the Movies, the only reason I watched Teen Titans Go to the Movies was because I liked that other um, movie. And it's like, they use cameos and nostalgia so freaking well. Hell, they even put a Stanley cameo in just to make it fun. And just to compare it, like what we're seeing now to Ready Player One, it's such a shame, right? Because I think Ready Player One, for the most part, apart from like a few nitpicks you would have, and like I was talking about with the skins, I really like a lot of what they did with nostalgia in this movie. Because it wasn't to the point to where it felt like, oh man, that's just all this movie is. There was actually characters, and there was a story, and there was stuff that get you emotionally invested in a world that you actually cared about. Whereas 
and I'm going to throw it back in your face again. Space Jam 2. At the end of the movie, they throw a bunch of Warner Brothers characters out at you to watch the basketball game. And that's all they're there to do. To clap and look like fake-ass versions of the characters you know and love. Yeah. And it just, you look at it and you're like, that just seems so computer-generated bullshit that nobody wants to see. It seems like somebody came up with that in a boardroom. Yeah, the Flash, the Flash's cameos also seem very, uh, not very good is the safest way to put it. And that's what I'm saying. It's such a shame in regards to Ready Player One, because again, I feel like what Steven Spielberg was going was for a genuine rush of nostalgia, and not that feeling of people in a boardroom going. We know what will drive in the money, the people to see this movie. Let's get Michael Keaton back and let's show this person and this person and this person for a five-second cameo. And in terms of the MCU, all the stuff that they've been doing and to varying degrees of success. Again, you look at something like No Way Home. No Way Home does that superbly. And then you see something like The Flash where it seems like they took No Way Home and they went, let's do the opposite of that. To me, at least. And yeah. It's just, and again, this isn't a spoiler talk or a retrospective for any of those, but I find it interesting to talk about to close out our episode on, because it does feel like the movie industry is going towards this nostalgia-heavy nostalgia avenue, and I dislike it so much, and it's a shame because something like Ready Player One should be the way you're going, if you're going down nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about Ready Player One before we move on and get out of here? Uh, no, I think I've said all I need to say. Alright, well, if you somehow got through this episode and haven't seen Ready Player One yet, well, I'm sorry we spoiled a lot of stuff for you in this episode, but it's a fun movie. You should check it out, for sure. Also, uh, why did you click on a retrospective if you didn't want to be spoiled on it? Yeah, well, people are weird, and you know what? We respect you for that. <laughs> but let's go ahead Stay and weird, get everyone. out of here. Drew, what you working on and where can people find you? I am still just on the socials. You can find me at Drew Garrison underscore on uh, Twitter and Instagram, mostly on Instagram. But um, you can look me up there and I and uh, you can also find me cranking out content on Longbox Hunters. So, you know, why don't you why don't you come over and see what me and Tristan are reading today? As for me, you will not find me on any of the socials because I don't have any of these socials. Um, Blasphemy! You can find me, though, on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord in the description of this very episode. Chat with us about your thoughts on Ready Player One, what you want us to do an episode on next, and all sorts of other things. They just This is going to be probably a bit old by the time this episode goes out. But at the time of this recording, James Gunn just confirmed that they have casted the new Superman and the new Lois Lane over at DC Studios. And man, <laughs> Drew, you called it, buddy. I called it. You guys have a Lombok Hunters episode planned in the future talking about Superman, and you guys are going to talk about this. I hope you and Tristan go into that clash at the stash and how Tristan almost got it right and then had a pick that potentially potentially aged very poorly. And then you on the other hand fucking nailed it. <laughs> like absolutely like it's hilarious. So 
I'm honestly surprised, but I am so glad it happened. By the way, I know. check out our reboot, the DCEU Class of the Stash. You guys will love it. We have three episodes, yeah. and it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, be sure to, if you enjoyed this episode, you want to chat with us, join our Discord. Let us know your thoughts on Ready Player One, the Superman news that we're ecstatic about, anything you really want to talk about, video games, movies, TV shows, you name it. I want to thank Drew for joining me. I want to thank anyone for listening in. We will be back next week with an episode on a movie I very much enjoyed from old Bob Odenkirk as he put on his John Wick shoes with the movie called Nobody. The week after that, we're going to be going back to our TV shows for a retrospective on a TV show that has been 10 years in the making for me. I'm going to be watching and reviewing with Donnie Smith of the Nerd Stash. True Detective Season 1. Cannot wait to get into both of those episodes. I'm ecstatic there. Um, So be on the lookout for all that and more. And we will see you next week with a brand new episode.